I want to invite you to imagine with me if Jesus were to come for the first time in the flesh, 2022, in Minneapolis, and he was starting his revolutionary kingdom and family. Who would he seek after to start this revolution? Who would he especially seek after and look for to populate this newly minted kingdom? Would he go to the governor's mansion or go to Mayor Fry's apartment? Or would he go to Linden Hills to the rich, to the wealthy, to the CEOs, to the, to the athletes because he, he wanted a social media presence? Well, where would he start and who would he especially seek after? Now, I didn't say who would he care for, but who would he especially care for and seek after? Because that word especially means means. Yes, all this, but extra this. And it's clear if you look throughout the scriptures that Jesus cares and loves all people. But if you were to look carefully over and over again throughout the scriptures, there's an especially kind of group that he seeks after. And this theoretical exercise I just went with you about who would he seek after if he started his ministry today, the only way you could even come up with some legitimate answers if you looked at his pattern of life and said, who did Jesus seek after? Who did he especially highlight in his ministry? And then we could reverse engineer and say, okay, then this is what he would probably do for our context and our culture today. And so I want to make this point. I would add that whoever Jesus especially sought after in his ministry, his people should likewise do the same. Does that sound like a logical argument? That we should especially seek after the people he especially sought after. And if you agree with that premise, I would take one step further, then that would mean over the years, churches that were faithful to follow Jesus' pattern would be full of people that Jesus especially sought after. Is that a fair assumption? So that over the years, our churches should look like and be highly populated by the people that Jesus would seek after if he were on earth today in the flesh. See, in today's passage, we see a despicable man, a very despicable man, we'll get into how despicable he was, that Jesus especially singled out and sought after. And we see that not only did Jesus single him out to talk with him or ask directions, he singled him out to give him blessing and mercy. And we also see that the entire community, when they see this mercy, they grumble, they complain, they judge. Which, as I prepare the sermon, as you guys know, I always want to let this sermon preach to me first. If I want to be faithful and not be a hypocrite, made me ask a difficult question, who would I grumble about if they received mercy? Or maybe I'm better than that. Maybe I wouldn't grumble if anyone received mercy in the gospel from, any, from, from the Lord, but, but maybe I wouldn't want them to be in my church or in my life or in my DNA group or missional community. I'm okay with their, them receiving mercy as long as they receive mercy over there because I don't want to deal with their problems and their mess. See, what we're going to see in our passage today is that the very people Jesus especially sought after are the very people that we are especially prone to judge and avoid. This is an important passage for the life of our church because it gets at the very DNA of much of what we're about, but it also really fights and addresses a lot of 
prejudice that we're all prone towards. A lot of fleshly inclinations that all of us are prone towards, especially me. So we need God's help. Let me pray one more time. Would you pray with me? God, help me. Help me share the truth, preach the truth, and nothing but the truth. Help me, God. And help us receive your word fully. And like Zacchaeus, with joy, receive it and live it. Help me be faithful to what you say and only what you say. I have limitations. I have my own baggage. I have my own cultural blind spots. Would you help your word come forth? We want to hear from heaven, not hear from Sam. Let me not get in the way of your word. We welcome your presence and your power. Open up our hearts. Help us receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Now, real quick, we look at Jesus' life, and if you have a Bible, and if you just look at the headings around our passage, we're at Luke chapter 19. If you look at 17, 18, who are the people that receive mercy that Jesus is populating his kingdom with? Well, we see people like a crippled beggar who's just helpless on the side of the road with his sores being licked, open sores being licked by wild dogs. He is the one who's exalted and sat at the table to feast with Abraham, while the rich man who feasted sumptuously all day is actually in Hades. We see 10 lepers who were outcasts of society, who couldn't even be among the community, healed. We see a widow get justice, who would, in that context, be absolutely helpless. We see a tax collector who is justified before God instead of the self-righteous Pharisee. We see children being valued by Jesus. We see a blind beggar receiving sight. Now, let me ask you this. If you were to start a revolution, start a family, start a kingdom, would you want this group to be the first recruits of your kingdom? (laughs) Is this the people you would like to populate your kingdom? I mean, consider back in grade school, if you ever went through that very traumatic experience of of being picked for uh, dodgeball or kickball, uh, imagine that. Would you be like, "Um, yeah, the blind kid over there. Yep, you. Yep, you're my first pick. Oh, yes, the crippled beggar. Oh, yes, the lepers who are missing limbs. And these are the people that Jesus especially called to himself and received mercy. Not, not, not the Fantastic Four, not the, the Navy Seals of, of the people that you would think that you would call to start a kingdom. And this is the pattern that we see. In our section, starts in chapter 17, you see this tax collector receive mercy and then In the middle of our section, we see Jesus talk about his life, death, and resurrection. And then this whole section in Luke ends in chapter 19 with not a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. So that's kind of the context where we're at. Now look at verse 1 and 2 with me in chapter 19, if you may. He entered Jericho and was passing through. So just real quick note, this is just a one-night thing. He's just passing through. This is not, he's not starting his ministry. He needs a place to stay for one night, likely. Verse 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, if you grew up in the church, you may be familiar with Zacchaeus. You may even know the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little, anyone? Wee little man was he. Now, the problem with songs and stories about kids that if you grow up in the church is that to make them age appropriate, we tend to omit huge details about their lives to make it understandable and palatable for kids. The song should actually go, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a terrible man was he. 
He was not a kind man. And I grew up with the Zondervan kids uh, Bible. And, and Zacchaeus is on the front, and he's just like this short, smiley, jolly, rich, short man, fat and jolly. And you just think, oh, well, Jesus likes those kind of people, and he's kind to him and compassionate to this, this kind of outcast. And th- those are all good and well in, 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 in context, but, but there is something more heinous going on about Zacchaeus that I think most of us don't realize. Let me help you understand what it would be like to be a tax collector in this day. Imagine with a a scenario, an unexpected scenario where, let's just use North Korea. North Korea or Russia or China, you name the country that could do this, secretly, suddenly took over the United States. And as they establish their regime, they need taxes. And they need volunteers to be tax collectors for their regime. And imagine... One of our very own, okay? One of our very own volunteered. Okay, let's just use Pete as an example. Pete is a man, a smart man. He's a cunning man. And he realizes, you know what? This sucks. Our nation is being ruled by the North Koreans or whatever regime. But let me, let me get a little something, something from myself if it's going to be so bad. So, so Pete volunteers to be a tax collector for the North Koreans. So he goes around and he collects money for them. But not only does he collect the oppressive tax that they put upon us, he, he gets a little something, something extra for himself to line his pockets. And imagine Pete is so good at his job and so efficient and so good at threatening people and making sure he gets the taxes from everyone that he gets elevated to be a cheap tax collector. How would you feel about Pete? See, it changes things a little, doesn't it? It's like, Pete, bro, you're my friend. We went to church together. How could you work for the North Koreans? Or or in our context, Zacchaeus, how could you work for the Romans? They are trampling our community. They're abusing us. They're oppressing us. And you're going to work for the oppressor? And you're going to get rich on your own people's money and blood? See, see, this is a a special kind of wickedness. Would you agree? That's messed up. Your own countrymen betraying your community so that he can line his pockets. This is the kind of man Zacchaeus is. And if you don't get that, you don't get how unfathomable and absurd God's grace is towards him. Do you look at verse 3 and 4 with me? Now that we kind of get a picture of what kind of man Zacchaeus was. And Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up to the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, this line, seeking to see Jesus was, we're going to loop back to, you can earmark that. That's important. But, but think about, consider this. In our culture, if you are excessively short, you are often made fun of, especially by kids. Right? My wife is five zero. Okay, so she gets it. Okay. But in that culture, there's historical cultural evidence that they made fun of and shamed people who were excessively short too. Now consider this man who has, although hated by his community, he has status. He's got money. Imagine how undignified and and shameful it would be for this short little fat man to be. I don't don't know if he's fat. Sorry, that's that's the children's Bible (laughs) influencing me. Okay, see, this this is important. That's why you got to stick to the text. It doesn't say he's fat. Okay. 
but he was rich. So rich people were often fat because it showed the sign of their wealth. Okay, anyway. All right. So imagine that. <laughs> oh, all right. Imagine this short man climbing this tree. Adult men don't climb trees unless they're playing with their kids. And it would highlight how short he was. This is a shameful sight, which makes me believe that this guy genuinely wanted to see Jesus. He's scurrying up there. And, and I just have to wonder that maybe his short stature influenced his, his life. I, I'm not going to blame it on this solely because he has personal responsibility. But I wonder if he grew up ridiculed by his friends and his family and his community because how unusually short he was, which created in him a heart of bitterness and resentment. Said, well, if you guys are going to treat me like filth anyway, might as well get rich for it. But that's a little speculation, but I think reasonable speculation. Back to the text, verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. There was probably an audible gasp among the whole community. And I wouldn't be surprised if Zacchaeus just fell out, out of the tree. He, he doesn't just say, hey, you. He says, Zacchaeus, he knows his name. Zacchaeus may have been seeking him out to see him, but he does not realize that Jesus was already seeking him out. Zacchaeus knew him. And those people, and you're going to see their response in a second, they thought Jesus didn't know what he was doing, but Jesus knew. Jesus even knew more than they knew. Jesus didn't single him out for directions. He wants to stay at his house. And we can all imagine what it would be like even in our culture that's not as meal-oriented as the near-ancient Eastern culture. But if you were to invite someone into your home, what are you saying? You're saying that I approve of this person. I care about this person. I want to have fellowship and connection with this person. And likewise, if you are receiving that invitation, you go, you are blessing them. You are saying, I want to know you. This is a big deal in our culture. And it's an even bigger deal in that culture. In that culture, if you were from a different socioeconomic status, you could have huge ramifications if you just sat at the same table with someone else. If you sat with someone who didn't look like you, who didn't smell like you, who had a different skin color than you. Don't believe that racism and prejudice started in 2020. It's been going on. And if you're doing the Bible reading plan, you saw that Joseph... In, in Genesis, couldn't even eat with the Egyptians, even though he was second command in the whole nation. This, this prejudice and, and avoiding people who are not like you, who don't come from the same pedigree as you, is, is as old as is dirt. And so this is a big deal. Jesus wants to stay at his house. And this is just a short stay. And you can imagine the people's response. Verse 7, and when they saw it, some grumbled. Nope, what does the text say? They what? All grumbled, all of them. And they said, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. <laughs> Doesn't Jesus know what he did to my family, my brother? We're bankrupt because of this wicked man. Of all the people, Jesus, you're going to come into Jericho, and of all the people you're going to single out to stay at his house, to bless him with your presence, is going to be Zacchaeus? <laughs> can you imagine how outraged you would feel. We can be so quick to judge these people. Oh, these judgmental Jews. You would feel the same way. I would feel the same way, wouldn't we? Why not my house? Jesus, I've been a good Jew. I've been studying Torah my whole life. Why aren't you coming to my house? Why are you going to that guy's house? Of all people. I, I was talking to Joanna about this text when I first preached this sermon a few years ago. 
she said this observation. She said, Sam, I don't mind. In fact, I love when Jesus shows mercy and compassion towards victims, like a blind beggar. But she's like, I have a hard time with him extending mercy towards people who are victimizers. That's so, such an honest observation, isn't it, for all of us? See, I, without being overly crass, I'm not trying to, to do this to, to be sensational, but, man, Jesus cares about victims. He cares about victims of abuse. But how do you feel about him caring about abusers, too? See, Zacchaeus wasn't just a victim, although he, you could probably look at his life and see areas of his life that he was influenced and he was victimized, but he was an abuser. He was a betrayer. And yet Jesus singles him out, out of the entire community to care for him. Who is, who is the Savior we're talking about? What kind of mercy and grace and compassion are we talking about? So the question to consider, even as we look at this and look at the response of the people, is there anyone in the world right now that if they receive the, this kind of mercy and this kind of blessing and favor, you would grumble about? Or maybe you're fine with them receiving mercy, like I said earlier, but you're not okay with having intimate fellowship with them. See, Jesus didn't say, your sons are forgiven, son. See you later. I'm not going to get smelly, and I'm not going to get tainted by you. He said, you're, I'm going to go to your house. I'm going to sleep in your rooms. I'm going to sit at your table. This is a, a, an unbelievable amount of intimacy and closeness Jesus is offering this man. This isn't some James, be warm and fed. God bless you. So I'm going to come, and I'm going to sit at your table. I'm going to let people judge me. I'm going to get the stink of your cultural baggage on me because I love you that much. How, how does Jesus respond to this kind of love? Now, he says, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. <laughs> he received him joyfully. As 1 John 4 says, we love him because he first loved us. There, there is something that's happening in Zacchaeus' heart. Notice that Jesus seeks him out before Zacchaeus shows any sign of repentance. Zacchaeus just wants to see him. That's it. And yet God receives him joyfully, and as a response, Zacchaeus receives him joyfully. And if you struggle with grumbling and judging people, forgetting the grace of God, or you don't want to be the person giving the grace of God, let me tell you something. You fail to realize that you're like Zacchaeus too. I'm like Zacchaeus too. I'm sad to say this, but I preached a sermon recently. And a man said to me afterwards, he said, well, I'm, I'm fine with God giving mercy and the gospel to the pimps and prostitutes in my street. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to spend my time with the decent people. And I try to push in and press in. And if I had more time, I'd say, brother, don't you realize you don't receive, deserve any mercy? Don't you, don't you realize you're just as bad as, as them? And you may say, I have not done the same things as Zacchaeus has. That, that's probably true. As far as I know, none of you are tax collectors working for another country. But the same root hearts, the, the root issue of selfishness, self-protection, self all the kind of things that we see in Zacchaeus' heart, and more, there's more there than I can even get to, we've all had that heart. And by the grace of God, he's kept us from such things. 
And yet so often we can be so judgmental towards people who come from different backgrounds, who are outcasts in society, and say, oh, look at the filth out there. You maybe, maybe you're PC enough that you never say that, but in our hearts we feel it. I, I want to be really honest with you. I asked the Lord, who, who, who would I struggle with receiving, giving mercy to? And after some soul searching, I, I would say, no, there's nobody in the earth that I would struggle receiving mercy. But there, there are some people that I would struggle having fellowship with, being close to, having in my home, being part of my church. And I was online looking at this church in the area. It's a, it's a kind of a Unitarian Episcopal church. And there was a tag on Instagram, and it was a drag queen posting about this church and saying how holy it was. And the drag queen was, he was dressed in the full, full nine. And I, I had a reaction in my heart. It was sickening to me. And I, as I was driving the other day asking, Lord, how, how is this applying to my heart? The Lord was saying, Sam, would you, would you love that man? Would you share the gospel with him? Would you disciple him? Would you bring him to your home? Would you bring him into this church? Or do you just want him to receive mercy and hear about some report from, on YouTube over there? Or do you want him in here? That was hard for me. And maybe for you, you wouldn't have that reaction like my sick heart does, but maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's some, something else for you. It looks different for all of us. I just want to be honest with, and, and I'm sure some of you guys may be judging me for that. But, but that's where my heart is, and I need God to transform my heart and realize that apart from the grace of God, I'm no good than that man. I don't deserve mercy. Now let's look at the overwhelming results of true salvation that we see in Zacchaeus. Verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Note that he addresses Jesus as Lord. He has a new authority. Not Caesar, but Jesus is his Lord. This is significant. To call someone Lord is a big deal in that culture. He's calling him Lord. He's surrendering his authority and his rights to this Jesus. And he also, as an overflow of God's generous love towards him, is he overflows in a crazy amount of charity. I mean, think about this. Half of all of he has to the poor, plus four times back to anyone he defrauded. I do not know how this guy had any money afterwards. This is insane. So, so if you read chapter 18 with me last uh, two weeks ago and saw the rich young ruler and how he walked away sorrowful, this is the opposite. The, the rich young ruler saw Jesus, saw the demands of the gospel, saw the demands of what Jesus was calling, and he walked away sorrowful because he, he sized it up. He said, I can't pay that. Jesus, you're not worth that. But Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is saying, Jesus, you are worth that. And we see that it is possible with God for rich to be saved. And imagine the people who are wronged by him. Maybe years have gone past and they thought to themselves, man, that guy got away with it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And not only did they get paid back what he defrauded, they got four times the amount. So church, if you've been wronged by somebody, scammed by someone, hurt by someone, trust the Lord in his timing that he can pay you back four times or more. That's amazing. That's amazing the kind of redemption. Can you imagine the ripple effects this one salvation would have in the entire community? And so we may wonder, hey, why, why Jesus, of all the people in the city, would you go to Zacchaeus' house? 
Well, now we're getting a picture because Zacchaeus was now going to be a conduit of grace and blessing to the entire community. The entire community is being blessed now because of him. Remember, the poor in this society did not have welfare programs like we do. They were destitute. They had no hope unless you were generous. I want to make a point that we've made over and over again, but we need to because it's so easily, we're so easily blind. But throughout the Gospel of Luke especially, there is a direct connection to your heart with God and how you handle the money he's entrusted you. It is directly connected. So you can't say, well, my money is one thing, but my devotion for God is another. They're deeply connected. And I would say that if you see over and over again throughout the Gospel of Luke, there's an emphasis of caring about the poor. And I'm afraid, I don't think we've emphasized this enough because it's so politicized. You literally can't say online, I care for the poor without people accusing you of being a liberal. Church, redeem these terms. Caring for the poor is Jesus' idea, not Democrats. Let's redeem it, take it back, and do it the right way. Don't let the politicization of these terms Rob us of biblical language. Justice is a biblical thing. Don't let the culture preempt it and, 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 and corrupt it. Redeem it. But caring for the poor is complicated. If any of you guys have actually tried to care for the poor, extended time is complicated. It's not so easy. So I have a couple of applications I'm going to give at the end. But, but let's look back at Zacchaeus' response. Zacchaeus is overflowing with good works. But let's be clear. This is not a salvation of works. In other words, he is not earning his salvation. He's not doing all this and Jesus is saying, well, now you're saved. Well, now I'll choose you. He's doing this in response to God's love. This is not a salvation of works, but a salvation that gets to work. Because when true salvation happens in a heart, it does something to you. It changes you. It produces good fruits. It's a necessary overflow of what has happened supernaturally in your heart. Zacchaeus' Zacchaeus' declaration of charity and reparations were voluntary. Jesus did not command him. It was an overflow because Zacchaeus found a better treasure. Zacchaeus is not working for approval. He's working from approval. And I'm afraid so many Christians still functionally live like they're trying to earn God's approval. But God already approves you in Jesus if you're trusting him. And from that place of approval, you work You joyfully give, you joyfully serve, not for approval, but from approval. Zacchaeus is not earning, he's overflowing. He's overflowing from the grace of God. Furthermore, this also demonstrates that getting right with God necessarily results, always results in getting right with other people. There is no such thing as, yeah, I got right right with God vertically, but I don't need to care about people horizontally. God has forgiven me, but I'm not going to be forgiving towards others. God has forgiven me, and I'm not going to get right with people I wronged. They're deeply connected. Church, fight the urge to dis- disconnect them. One results from the other, but it always has to result. You're not earning, you're confirming. The way we spend money measures our treasure. And again, back to the rich young ruler, we're seeing who Zacchaeus' treasure is. Do you look back at, look at verse 9 now with me. Jesus responds to the crowd after the grumbling and speaks to Zacchaeus. And he says, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. 
What does this mean? He's also a son of Abraham. I don't, I don't have time to unpack this, but Jesus is teaching that we see throughout scripture is that there are Israelites and there's true Israel. And true Israel has saving faith, has a faith that transformed them. But yet a lot of people back then thought, well, I come from the right background, I have the right blood, the right family, I do the right things, therefore God must accept me. But what Jesus is throwing everything on her head and said, true sons of Abraham, true sons of the Father are those who put their faith in me. And as a result, do a lot of great things. Now, we get to the main verse and point of this passage, and many scholars would argue that the next verse, chapter, chapter 9, verse 10, is the theme verse in the Gospel of Luke. So if you're taking notes, if you have your Bible, underline, highlight, tattoo it. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Would you say that with me? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Why did he come? To seek and save the lost. That's the purpose behind his coming. And if you look at the context and look at the wider Bible, Jesus clearly cares about all people and all people are lost if you don't have Christ. But it seems that there's a special emphasis for certain kinds of people that he's seeking after. He's not just seeking general people who are lost. Everyone's lost, obviously. But there's a certain kind of loss that he is highlighting. And I think this is just so important for us to, to consider is that Jesus especially seeks after those that the world especially ignores. Jesus especially reaches out those that the world especially rejects. And so should we. I want to address anybody in here who's not following Jesus, not putting your trust in Jesus. What I mean by that, Jesus is not your Lord. Functionally, you are your Lord. You may throw a little Jesus on there, may go to church, may do a couple religious actions, but Jesus is not your Lord. He is not your treasure, and you're trusting in yourself rather than him. If that's you, listen, he is seeking after you. The fact that you are here is evidence of that, that he's seeking after you. He's singling you out. He wants you, and he doesn't even come just to talk to you or to befriend you, but to bring you into his own heart and his life like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus thought he just wanted a place to stay, but Zacchaeus, Jesus wants a place to inhabit. He wants his heart, and Jesus wants your hearts, and he died to make a way. He died for your sins. He died on the cross as if he was Zacchaeus. He died on the cross as if he lived the lives that we, we lived, and he died the death you and I and Zacchaeus deserve. None of us receive this, deserve this mercy, but you can have this mercy. It is freely able. And if you think that you are too far from the grace of God, if God could save Zacchaeus, he can save you. So if you're not sure, you have peace with God. If Jesus isn't your treasure, please, please talk to a member today. Talk to a Christian today and tell them where you're at. Tell them your struggles, your doubts, and we want to walk with you. Will you receive Jesus with joy today? Will you crown him Lord of all? Will you let him be the greatest treasure and give up everything for that treasure? Come talk with us. Now, let me transition to say, how shall we now live in light of this passage? Because this is not a passage we can merely just examine. And I heard some people respond to my sermon and say, oh, that was a nice sermon. It's like something you just look at and you say, like a zoo animal. Oh, that's nice. I like it. But it has huge ramifications on how we live and how we think, and how we feel. So how should we now live? Well, first of all, let's worship our Savior. 
Let's marvel at his compassion and his mercy. Who is like our Lord? I mean, if you ever wondered if the the Bible is real and you doubt if this was made up by men, self-seeking men, just don't go go further than this passage. Who in their right mind would write this up? Hey, let's write a religion to self-serve us. Okay, what what should our chief leader do? Oh, he should reach those that nobody cares about reaching that we hate. Are you kidding me? This is one of the most compelling evidences of the reality of the gospel and the validity of Jesus' ministry and who he is. Let's marvel at this Jesus. As the hymn famously declares, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the face of God. He, to save my soul from danger, interposed his precious blood. He sought us, church, when we were a stranger. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember, he sought Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus did anything. It's amazing. Second, we need to repent. What would the natural response of someone who found the greatest treasure do? What would they do? How would they live if they received such mercy? How would they handle their finances? They would be the most humble, most gracious, most generous people in the world. So like Zacchaeus, who do you need to repay? Who do you need to repent to? Who do you need to make things right with? Remember, you're not earning your salvation, but this is the natural fruit of loving Jesus. And finally, and the the main point I want to walk away with, is let's look at our Savior. Let's look what he did and do what he did. Jesus especially seeks after the outcasts, and so should we. Who in our, who in this society, what people in our society are you most prone to judge? Most prone to feel sick about? To want to avoid? Maybe it's political, maybe it's social, maybe it's Maybe it's ethnic, culturally. All of us have that. We're, none of us are without temptation towards that end. We're all prone to want to size up ourselves and say, I'm better than that person. I'm superior to that person. I'm better than that person because of this, this, this. Consider right now who the Lord may be calling you, calling you to seek out that you want nothing to do with. And remember, Jesus is not calling you to do anything that he has not done himself and not anything that he has not done to you first. He left the comforts of heaven. He crossed cultures into another ethnic background to love people who wanted nothing to do with him. This is the Jesus we follow. So what he has done to us, he now wants to do through us, church. So if you're saying, Sam, there's no way I can do that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You can't do that without the power of the gospel. If you're not a Christian, you can't do this. This is why modern-day attempts towards true diversity do not last long because they don't have the gospel propelling them. Church, we can make a difference in our society. We can show that the gospel is real. I mean, one of the reasons why we're called All People's Church is because I know that my temptation is to make it my people's church, my kind of people's church, people like me church. Isn't that true? I mean, we all love the idea of diversity. It's a beautiful picture. But it's hard. It's complicated. People are different. They smell different. They act different. They, they value different things. You're like, why, why, why would you do such a thing? Why aren't you doing what I'm doing? Like, those, those things over time great and are exasperating. That's why most churches are extremely monoethnic. Everybody says they want diversity, but monoethnicity is going to be the norm and will continue to be the norm unless we are grounded by the, this radical gospel. And let it transform the way we relate with each other. 
And I said in the very beginning of the sermon, wouldn't it result, wouldn't it follow that if Jesus especially reached after some people, we should do the same? And wouldn't it follow that if we as a church consistently did that, then our churches would be full of people who, who Jesus especially sought after. And yet, can I just be honest? Our church is not like that yet. And most churches are not like that yet. Something's wrong. Something is wrong, church. We must fight. That's one of the reasons why our mission statement, it's up on the screen now. Our mission is to follow Jesus in everyday life while helping others do the same, especially those who are far from God. We included the especially those far from God because I know that my flesh wants us avoid those especially far from God. Now, everyone who's not a Christian is far from God, but there's an especial reality that we see throughout Scripture. I know that my tendency is to avoid those people. I want to be like, I want to minister to people who are like me. I don't want to get messy. I don't want to deal with that. And so church, who is the Lord calling you to reach out to that maybe you've avoided, maybe you've judged, to love, to care for? I want to give one practical application that, 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 that came to me recently that I think is really important. Right now, there are approximately 733 children in Minnesota in need of adoptive families immediately. 733. Can you say that with me? 733? And there are roughly 3,000 Protestant churches in the Twin Cities alone. 733, 3,000 Protestant churches. You do the math. How many churches do we need? <laughs> just have a, just uh, some of them. And we, we saw the epidemic crisis of having a, kids in foster care and adoption. When I was part of uh, Francis Chan's church in Simi Valley when I was in Bible college, that church spearheaded an a, a, a initiative where the entire county of Ventura, which is bigger than Hennepin, the entire county of Ventura had no more needs of adoption. And everyone was like, what is going on? This is impossible. And they knew Jesus is real. Jesus is doing something because this is supernatural. This is otherworldly kind of stuff. We can do that, church. And those who are in, who, who are in the foster care system, have, are the, stack, the, the deck is stacked against them for them to have higher, uh, fire, higher cases of being sex trafficked, higher cases of being abused, higher cases of drug use and incarceration. These are simple, these, this is low-hanging fruit that we could help as a community. And maybe that's you adopting, maybe that's you doing respite care, foster care, or maybe you're single or you're, and you can't do that, but you can help people who are doing that. We can do that, church. Joanna and I are going to do a, a, a um, kind of a webinar on February 9th. We've tried to adopt like three or four times in our life, and every time the door shuts, so we're going to try again. You can join us. If you have questions, you can join. This is low-hanging fruit of people that society has outcasted. Their family may have outcasted them out. And society will cast them out too. In the church, we can stand. There's a lot of other applications, but this is just one I wanted to highlight, that a lot of us who are super busy, you could do this. You can add them into the normal rhythms of your life. You can adopt, you can foster, and we can come alongside as a church to do it, and we can play a role in showing this community what Jesus is like. And now let me say this. What would it be like if our church took this heart took this passage, took this, these instincts, this gospel, radical grace instinct to heart. Imagine what our church would be like in a few years. Imagine what our community can be like that's aching and longing to see a picture of this, but they can't. And they go to government programs, they go to different superficial initiatives that can help at times, but overall fail on their face historically. What would it look like if we did this church? We can. Let's be all people's church one day. Like, really? Really? 
We're not yet. Let's be that. We can be that by the power of the gospel. Imagine the witness of the power of the gospel to be like to our whole community. And again, I just want to remind you, this is not anything that is shameful that God's calling you to do. It's what he's already done for us. And now we want to do through you, church. So church, what Jesus has done to you, he wants to do through you. Jesus especially sought after the outcasts of our society, and so should we. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for this truth. Thank you for loving me while I was still a sinner, while I was wandering, wanted nothing to do with you. Who is like you, Jesus? You are so good. You're so beautiful. You're so loving. You're so merciful. How could you love Zacchaeus out of all those people? How could you choose him and seek him? What a God you are. And Lord, if there's anyone here who is in that same camp, their heart is wandering from the heart of God. They're a stranger to you and your mercy and your grace. May they come right now. Would they receive you with joy like Zacchaeus? And Father, if I said anything that was wrong, either in content or in tone or in manner or an example or an application, would you correct me? But if what I just said and preached is actually on your heart too, your agenda accurately represents your gospel, let it deeply transform our community, radically reorient the way we live our lives. Help us, a few years from now, have a church filled with people who are especially far from you now. Filled with the outcasts. Oh Lord, we repent for all the times we have prejudice in our heart. All the time that we want to avoid those people because they're not like us. Help us resist it and reject it and press in as you pressed in for us. Let none of this be done out of compulsion, done out of shame or guilt, but done out of joy. Because you sought us. Thank you, Jesus, for seeking us out. Now, what you did to us, help us do with you. You're not calling us to do anything that you're not doing. Help us join you in the work you want to do in the Twin Cities and beyond. Help us, Lord. Forgive us. Transform us. Fill us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.